Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. Uh, we are continuing our series called Who We Are, and in this series, we are looking at what it might look like for us to be the people, to be the church that God wants us to be for our city uh, for such a time as this. And uh, last week, we talked all about what is the church. And I would encourage you, if you missed that message, uh, go on our brand new website, awaken.church, uh, catch up uh, with, with what's going on there, not only the messages, but also catch up what else is going on here, the events, uh, if you're looking how to serve, how to get more plugged in, you can go there as well, but uh, check it out. They've done a really great job uh, revamping the website as well. But today we're going to be talking about uh, who is the head of the church. And the title of today's message is, Who's in Charge? Now, I wonder how many of you have ever said that phrase before. Who's in charge, right? Maybe you haven't said that phrase before, but you might have said a variation of that phrase before. Like, who's the manager? Who's the supervisor? My all-time favorite is, who can I talk to that can actually help me with my problem, right? I'm not going to make you raise your hand to that one, although maybe that's some confession that needs to have before communion, but... We all don't like to hear that phrase, right? We don't want to be on the receiving end of that phrase because we know it's going to lead to a lot of difficult conversations, a a long process, a lot of difficult things that are going to happen in our lives. But the reality is we all love to give that question, right? Like we like to be who's in charge because if we feel like we've been mistreated, if we feel like something is not run the way that we feel like it should be run or we're unhappy about a decision, we want to complain to the person uh, who we feel is responsible for our unhappiness. In fact, I even remember when this question was asked of me decades ago, young Nate, you know, he was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, you know, like Uh, The world was so great. I was 15 or 16 years old, and, uh, you know, I had my very first job, and I worked at the Hyatt Tamaya. Now, none of you are, you're like, the Hyatt, what? Like, that's that's really what it's called. Good luck spelling it. Good luck finding it. It's the Hyatt Tamaya. It's in New Mexico, and it was a resort, and I worked at one of the restaurants in that resort, and this was my first job. And uh, uh, so my title at this job was a great title. It was server assistant, right? Like that sounds great and wonderful, right? But it was a glorified busboy. That's what I was. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, because fancy places need fancy titles. That's, that's what it is. And, and so I, I cleaned the tables. I set the tables. I did all of that stuff. But I also did other things. I was the first one to greet the table. I was there to try to upsell them on water. Sometimes the servers would be like, I don't feel like working today. So would you go ahead and I'll let you keep the tips and everything. Will you just go and take care of it? And, and that was fun too. But uh, not only did I do all of that, but I did anything that the server wanted me to do. That was my responsibility. And I'll never forget the very first table that I had. Very first time, because listen, I'm introverted. I don't like to walk up to people and ask them strange questions, or or even if they're there, like it's kind of like I just I it's not something I like to do. But I was like, this is my job. I'm gonna step in. I'm gonna do this job. And so I I got to the table. And I was like, hi, my name is Nate. And again, maybe I was 15, so maybe my voice was changing. Hi, my name is Nate. You know, like. <laughs> And so I was like, I'll be um, assisting the server today. And I was just wondering if any of you would be interested in one of our premium waters. I've got Avion and San Pellegrino. And sometimes I would upsell them. These people were a little smarter, so I didn't upsell them as much. And, 
And so I, I, so they, they said no. And so I went back and I got six waters. And I remember this all so clearly. It was six waters. And I got all six on the tray. And again, this is my very first job. And so I'm going, how do I hold this tray? Like, how is this supposed to work? And so it's like, I've seen most people do this or do this. I, so, you know, I'm like walking out trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. And some of you can see where this is going. I get to the table and I'm like, here's your water. And I put the one down. But as I'm putting it down, I feel the tray start to slip and I go, ooh, you know, like this. And we're all starting to have a conversation just looking at each other because they're like, you got this? And I'm like, I hope so. We'll find out, you know. And so I said, here's the second one. And I place it down. Oh, you know, that kind of move again. And, and by the third one, it was not pretty. I, I got there and I don't know what happened, but the tray just fell right out of my hands. And all I'm there is, is left holding one more glass of water. That's all I got. All the rest of them went into some poor lady's lap. And so besides the shrieks and the, the yelling and the crying out of having all this cold water dripped on you, I got to hear that inevitable phrase, who's in charge of this place? Now, needless to say, I got some retraining that day. I learned how to walk with a tray. And then I was banished to the back to polish silverware for the rest of the day. But it's important to know who's in charge. Because if something goes wrong, we want to know who's held responsible. But it's also good to know who's in charge if things go right, because we want to give credit where credit is due. It's important for us to know who's in charge because we want to know in a company or organization who makes those decisions. So who's in charge of the church? Is it the pastors? Is it the deacons? Is it the elders? Is it the person with the longest membership? Is it the finance committee? Is it the person who gives the most? Is it the congregation? Who's in charge of the church? Well, if you've been to church for any length of time, I think you know the answer to that question And even if you don't, you know the Bible answer, it's Jesus, right? Like we all know that Jesus is in charge of the church. But if you want to know, where's your proof text? Where do you get this information from? Well, all you need to do is turn to Colossians chapter 1. And I would invite you to do that. Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. We're going to camp out at verse 18. And if you don't have a Bible today, I would encourage you to uh, uh, download the YouVersion Bible app on your smartphone And if you hit the more tab, then you hit the events tab, then you'll find Awaken Church. You click on that, you'll be able to take notes there. You'll be able to follow along as well and uh, see all the verses in the outline as well. But um, while you're settling in, finding your place in Colossians, let me just give you a little background on this little book. This is a letter written by Paul to a church in Colossae. And this church was a very young church and they were facing a lot of false teachings Some of the false teachings that they were facing was just reliance on human wisdom. There was a false teaching going around that was talking about, hey, you got to worship angels. And there was a false teaching going around that was trying to cheapen or lessen Jesus being fully God and fully man. And so Paul was concerned about these early believers. He was concerned that these teachings might derail these young believers in Jesus. And so he wrote this letter to tell them and to warn them about these empty philosophies, these empty teachings that were, to go, that were going on and make sure that it didn't get into people's lives and get into the church. And so Paul, right from the start, he's telling the, the church here in Colossae, he's saying, hey, Jesus is the image of God. That's what he's getting at when you look at verse 15. Look at it with me. Verse 15, it says, he, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
Now pause right there. What this verse is not saying is that Jesus was the first one created. That's not what this verse is saying at all. Jehovah's Witnesses will use this verse saying, see, this is Jesus being created, but that's not at all what this verse is saying. What this verse is saying is that Jesus was with the Father at creation. He was actually there when the Father was creating everything. And then look on in verse 16 and 17. It says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Again, pause right there for just a minute. Because what Paul is trying to help us see and what Paul is trying to help these, this early church, these young believers see is that Jesus is above all. He's over all. He's the sustainer of all things. And so Paul is really just trying to lay the foundation, lay the, the groundwork that uh, talking about Jesus's role with the Father in creation. But then in verse 18, we see this switch happen. And in verse 18, we don't see Jesus's role with the Father in creation. We see Jesus's relationship with his creation. And that's what's happening here in verse 18. And let's read it. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, preeminent isn't a word that we use often, but preeminent means supreme, to be over, to be above, to be in charge of, to be number one in rank. And so what Paul wants us to understand is that Jesus is supreme. Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is the one in charge of this place. And Jesus is the one in charge of our lives. So what does this mean? Well, from our text, I see three things about how we can apply this verse to not only just the church, but also to our lives. And the first one is this, that Jesus is connected to the church and we can't separate. Jesus is connected to the church and we can't separate. Look at that first sentence in verse 18. It says, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. See, there's no disconnect between Jesus and his church. There's no distance between Jesus and his church. Think about it like this. Have you ever seen a headless man walking around? That's never happened, right? You never just showed up to work one day and somebody's like, well, hey, everybody, this is Gary. And uh, Gary lost his head a little while ago, but he's really great with numbers and we trust him a lot. So, you know, he's a fantastic guy. No, that doesn't happen. Like, that's weird, right? If you don't have a head, you're not alive. A body without a head is a dead body. There is no life. There is no power. There is no future. There is no present for a body without a head. A church cannot survive without Jesus. Now, now, when Paul is talking about the, the church being a body and needing a head, he's using some, some imagery, he's using some words, he, he's using something that is very familiar to, this, to the people at this time, because there was a Roman philosophy going around that said that the universe was the body. So everything in the universe, like animals, humanity, the stars, all of that, that was the body. And so it needed a head. And the Greeks and Romans believed that it was Zeus or whatever little g God they believed at that time. And their thought was that there had to be something controlling the universe or something informing or causing the universe to do whatever it was doing. And so it was these little g gods. It was their divine reason for everything that was happening. Now, Jewish thought 
was kind of the same way. Jewish thought said, yes, there is a universe, but God created. And everything in that body was something that God created, like the, like the, the animals, humanity, all the stars, the planets, everything like that. But it was God's divine wisdom that was directing and making everything happen. But then what's really cool in the New Testament, John comes along and he says, you know what? This isn't a force. It's not an idea. It's not a philosophy. It's a person. And that person is Jesus. That's why he said in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So Paul, knowing that these people at this time would have already had this understanding, this philosophy going around, he uses that same kind of philosophy to tie it in so that this church and anybody reading this letter would understand what he's saying. Because what Paul is ultimately getting at when he says Jesus is the head of the church, he's saying that Jesus is the head of anyone who's a follower of him. Again, let's go back and look. That word church there is from the Greek that means ekklesia. Again, ekklesia means the gathering of people that have put their faith in Jesus. Remember last week, this was point one of our message. Church is not a place, but a people. So we are the church. We are the people of God. So that means that Jesus has built himself people, and this group of people have put their faith in Jesus. That any of us who've said that Jesus is Lord of our lives... We've said that we believe that Jesus is who he said that he is, that he came to this earth. He lived the life we couldn't live, and he died the death in our place. And he rose three days later, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. And because he's alive, if we've repented of our sins, turned from our sins, turned to Jesus, then we can experience salvation. In reality, that's why we all gather today. We've all said we believe in Jesus. We believe in who he is. That gives us purpose for gathering every single Sunday. If we didn't believe that, then that's kind of just weird. Then what are we doing, right? But it's because we put that faith that we gather today. And so this body that Paul is talking about, it's not the whole universe. It's a new creation, a new humanity. We are now the people of God. We're followers of Jesus. Where he's the head, he's the one leading. And this is really good news for us today. Because sometimes we go, oh man, I don't feel so close to Jesus. I don't feel super connected to Jesus. But the good news of this passage is that Jesus is a lot closer than you think. He's not only just connected to the church, he's connected to you. Jesus loved you so much that he gave his life for you. You may be here today, you might be like, well, yeah, well, that's why I love Jesus. I don't love his church. You can't divorce the two because Jesus is connected to you and me and we as his people, we make up the church. Listen, if you don't feel like you have a strong connection to the head or, or you feel like you can't, you, you, you can't expect to have a strong connection to the head, to Jesus, if you reject the body. If you don't feel connected to Jesus, then look at your engagement with his people. But you might be like, well, yeah, but I'm mad, I'm hurt, I'm frustrated, I'm angry with the church. Maybe it's because of the way somebody treated you, the way somebody said something to you or didn't say something to you. I would just say, hey, listen, join the club. And I don't want that to sound insensitive. I don't want that to come across rude or that I'm trying to diminish the hurt or the pain that you might be feeling. I'm so glad that you've come here today. You might have experienced church hurt, and you're like, I haven't given up on the church yet, but you might be right on that line. You might be like, I'm almost over the line. I'm almost ready to give up. 
I'm glad that you're here. And listen, I don't want to diminish the hurt or the pain that you might feel, but here's what I want to tell you. The church is a bunch of messed up people who can't get to God on their own. We all need Jesus. We all need forgiveness. We all need grace. The reality is one day we will all be perfect. That's not today. It's one day. One day we will all be perfect. But until that day, it's a bumpy road. The reality is we've all offended people. And people have offended us. But just like your spouse might frustrate, hurt, or anger you, just like your siblings say things that make you mad, just like your parents, young or old, say things that just get under your skin, you figure out how to work through it because you're family. You figure out how to forgive and you move on. Jesus is connected to the church and we can't separate. See, with anyone who's close to us, they have this ability to cause pain. And listen, you don't have to get close to anyone. You can keep everybody at an arm's length. You can be like, that's it. I'm not going to have anybody come close to me, but you're going to miss out on what God can do in your life and how some people can be a blessing to you and you can be a blessing to other people. You'll miss out on experiencing love. You'll miss out on moments in people's lives. You'll miss out on big victories. That's why Paul, when he's writing a lot of these letters to the New Testament church, he's not always talking about what's going on outside in the world. He addresses some of that stuff. But oftentimes when he's writing these letters, what he's addressing is what's going on inside the walls in the church, how we are to interact with one another. We are, to, we are called to love one another, forgive one another, bring correction to one another. In fact, Paul, in another letter to one of his churches in Ephesus, uh, he's, he's writing in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse one is basically like, hey, y'all, he's, he's a little Southern right there, right? Like he's like, y'all, he's like, this is what y'all need to be about. You need to be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And you might be thinking, well, Nate, I got enough drama at work, at home, at school. Why do I need to come to church and get some drama? Because Jesus loves the church. And because we are the church, we are the people of God, we need to love each other too because we're a part of it. We are an aspect of this body. You're a part of this body working together to accomplish something. See, our head, our leader, Jesus, has redeemed, saved, and loved you. But he hasn't just redeemed, saved, and loved you. He's redeemed, saved, and loved everyone around you right now. And he lets us function together and lets us do life together. This is why we have to work at this. It's why it can be difficult. Ultimately, we need to know that Jesus is connected to the church and we can't separate. Here's our second thought. And that is, Jesus began the church so we can't deviate. Jesus is connected to the church so we can't deviate. The church cannot exist apart from Jesus. Again, just like the human body, the head controls, the breathing, the moving, the, the, the feelings, the eating. Every part is controlled by the head. Jesus is the head. Again, look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. But then this is the next line we want to focus in on. He is the beginning. So that means he was there from the start. He didn't come after. He wasn't created. He was right there in the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, when we hear that phrase, the firstborn of the dead, what does that mean? Well, just a quick question. How many of you here are firstborn in your family? My hand is raised. I'm a firstborn. A lot of you, more of you here than the second one. How many of you are the babies in the family? 
The last service, that's where you want to be. That's where all the babies are, okay? How many of you are the middle kids? Because I know we all get forgotten, right? Yeah, there you go. I don't want to leave you out, all right? (laughs) But, But firstborn has its privileges, right? Like, I don't know about you, but growing up in my house, I had privileges that my sister didn't have. I got to do things that she didn't get to do. And there was just certain privileges. Even when I think about all three of my boys, Brody, my oldest one, gets certain privileges that Asher and Dawson just don't get. And while we try to, as best as we can, get all the nice clothes for all of them, the reality is we tell Brody, don't wear these out because they're going to be handed down, right? <laughs> like he gets all the new clothes and occasionally the other ones get some new clothes too, you know? As long as they don't have holes and stuff and, you know, all that gross stuff that's going to come with teenage boys. But, you know, like the BO, that's what it is, all right? So we're going to just try to, we're going to try as much as we can. But Brody, Brody has privileges. He gets to do things that his brothers don't get to do. And so when the Bible is talking about firstborn, at times it's talking about chronological order, like these are the first. But sometimes it's also talking about supremacy. And what this verse is getting at is not just chronological order, but it's getting at supremacy. For example, let me give you a couple examples in the Bible. When the Bible says that Father Abraham had many sons, right? This is kind of the song. He was going to be the father of many nations. He, he's the father of all those who believe. Is he literally the physical father of everyone who believed? No, it's just a saying. If you think about uh, in Exodus, it talks about how God, uh, that the children of Israel, that that's God's firstborn. Did that mean that there were other nations, that Israel was the first nation? No, it meant that there were other nations as well. And so it's not a matter of chronological, it's about supremacy. So when we see the phrase, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, it didn't mean that he's the very first one to be raised from the dead. I think a lot of us would go, well, yeah, it was Lazarus. Jesus was the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. And that's true. Lazarus was raised before Jesus was raised from the dead. But you could even go back into the Old Testament and you'll see three different times people coming back to life in the Old Testament. So what does it mean that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead? It means that Jesus is the most important one to rise from the dead. Because it's only through Jesus' death and resurrection that gives us life. It's only through Jesus' resurrection that gives us salvation. So what it's ultimately getting at, what this verse is saying, is that Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn. That means he is the originator. In other words, all of this, church, everything is his idea. He was there from the beginning. And because Jesus began the church, we can't deviate. It's not like Jesus was, uh, came down to earth and was like, hey, I'm the Messiah. All right, everybody, see you later. Peace, I'm out. And then he ascended back into heaven. And everybody's scrambling around going, we believe. Well, what are we going to do? Well, let's, let's organize this whole thing and let's call it the church. That's not what happened. Jesus even said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so if the church ever thinks, well, you know, let's scrub some of the supernatural stuff in the Bible. Let's scrub this whole uh, healing and dealing with evil because that's just kind of weird stuff. Let's, let's scrub the whole resurrection thing because it's miraculous and I don't know if people are actually even going to believe it. You know, let's scrub this whole thing about sin because people don't want to know how bad they are. We don't want to tell people how bad they are. Let's just become this social club and do some great things in the community, do some great things for other people. Let's remake Jesus in our image. The truth of the matter is, if there is no Jesus, there is no church. Where there is no Jesus, we just begin to follow an idea, a philosophy, or something weird. 
See, we don't follow a force. We don't follow an ideology. We follow a person, and that person is Jesus. That's what makes all of this so unique and different. Again, when Jesus said that phrase, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, that, that previous was the conversation that Jesus was having with Peter. And, and Jesus was like, hey, Peter, who am I? And he's like, hey, you're the Messiah. And he's like, on that confession, am I going to build my church? So Jesus instructs the church on how it's to be built and what it's to be about. As Christians... As followers of Jesus, we don't follow an idea or a political affiliation. We are completely dependent for Jesus for life. And this is so important for us to get because sometimes we can get this all out of whack. Because what we have in common is what you might not think we have in common. Our commonality isn't the fact that we have the same skin color, we speak the same language. We're from the same geographic location, or we have the same ideas on how to govern, or we have the same uh, ideas politically, you know? We could be different on a lot of those things. And you could be different with someone that speaks a different language, that has a different skin color than you, that, that does uh, talk a little bit different, that thinks a little bit different, because the one and only thing that should ever pull us together is Jesus. Jesus is our commonality. Jesus is what pulls an African with an Asian, with an American, with a European together. Jesus is what pulls someone who speaks Spanish with someone who speaks English, French, and German together. Jesus is what pulls some of us living in 2023 together with those who lived in 1923. Jesus is our commonality. Jesus is what brings us together. And if he existed, if he's the beginning, if he's the firstborn, he taught certain things, it's not for us to reimagine Jesus in our own image. We learn and listen to what he said and what he did, and we follow him. Jesus began the church, and we can't deviate. Here's the third and final thought, and that is Jesus is preeminent in everything. Jesus is preeminent in everything. Going back, verse 18, one last time. It says, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So if Jesus is the preeminent one, the creator of everything in this world, the sustainer of everything he made, if he's the originator of the church, then what place should he have in our lives? Should have first place, supreme place. See, Jesus should be first in our our marriage, first in our uh, families, first in our friendships, first in our time management, first in our vacations, first in our careers, first in where we want to go to school and what we want to do with our lives. Jesus should be first in what we want to do, what we want to watch on TV, what music we want to listen to. Jesus should be first in your life when no one else is watching what you're doing. Jesus should be first place, supreme place in your life. See, when Jesus calls you to follow him, he didn't call you to live the same life you would have lived without him. It's not like he's like, hey, take this supplement, like, you know, take a little bit of Jesus, get some salvation, get some heaven, be good, and just go live your life the way you want to. That's not how it works. When you said, I'm a follower of Jesus, you said, Jesus is my Lord. Lord means king. But the reality is, We've domesticated Jesus. 
You've treated him like he's my little buddy. He's my friend. We shop around for the best version of Jesus that we like because we want to make sure that we feel good about ourselves. But let me tell you, he is an authoritative king who is not afraid to be what he is called to be, the head of his body. He'll bring direction where there needs to be directing. He will bring correction where there needs to be correction. He is the head. And so this concept that Jesus is the head means that we are not the head. Jesus is in charge, and he's in charge of the church, but he's also in charge of our lives. And so because of that, we submit to him. He's first. Everything else comes secondary. We submit our plans, our emotions, our desires, our business, our marriage, our sexuality, our children, our emotions. We submit all of that to him because Jesus is in king and he's in charge. And here's the crazy thing. When you submit everything to Jesus, when he is first place in your life, you will do crazy things. You will worship him. You'll come to church and you'll worship him. You're not here to worship the pastor. You're not here to worship the, the programs and the building and how things look or how things make you feel. No, you worship Jesus because of what he's done in your life, because he's the king, he's the Lord in your life. You give. You're not giving to an organization. No, you're giving to God through the church, understanding that God has checks and balances and will hold people accountable, but you give to the church. You serve, not because you got a lot of time on your hands. You're like, well, what am I going to do with my life? You know, I got to serve. No, you serve because Jesus got on his hands and feet and he served. Even Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. So our whole life will change. That's what God has called us to. And so Paul is reminding the Colossians. He's reminding you and me years later that Jesus is the leader. He's the ultimate authority of the church and of our lives, which means if he's the leader and the ultimate authority, we need to submit to him. Everything in our lives needs to come secondary because Jesus is preeminent. See, Jesus is not only or should not only be the Lord of our lives individually, but I want to stand here and let you all know that Jesus is the Lord. He is the king of this church. He is the leader of the church. He's in charge of this place. And that should be the case with any church that you find. If you're ever taken away because you got to move because of job or PCS or whatever takes you away, and you're looking for a church, you better make sure that Jesus is the king of that church. Because if he is not king of that church, you better just keep on walking, right? Jesus is the leader. And I'm really glad and grateful that he's the king. Because as cool and awesome and as big of a responsibility it is to uh, be the leader, to be one of the under-shepherds here, because that's what I am. I'm an under-shepherd. Our other pastors, they are under-shepherds as well. And I love serving with them, and I think we got a great team, a great group of people helping under-shepherd this church. But I am an under-shepherd here. But it is so good to know that we have the good shepherd leading us. He's the leader, he cares, and he loves the church. Before, years before I became the lead pastor here at Awaken, I remember thinking a lot about it. I prayed, I fasted about it. And I was like, Lord, are you, are you sure? Like, I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to walk into. I, I don't know if this is what you have for my life. Like, again, you know it's me, Nate. Like, 
you know what I've done? Like, you're, you're asking me to kind of step into this? Like, Lord, are you coming quicker? Like, is that, you're just going to speed this along, you know? <laughs> and I, I just remember going before the Lord and said, God, you're going to have to make this very obvious to me. Because before I did, I started feeling all the stress, all the weight, all the anxiety, all the feelings come over me. And I remember being super stressed out about the whole thing. And then I remember uh, as I was praying, and God, God completely revealed it to me. It was a sign from him that this was something I was supposed to step into, something I was supposed to walk in. But I remember as I was praying, I started talking to some friends, and, and I called this guy up once, and I said, you know, like, hey, I think this is what the Lord's calling me to do, but I'm really nervous, I'm really anxious about the whole thing. And I, I always remember what he says, because I hold on to it. He said, Nate, Jesus loves the people at Awaken Church and he loves this church way more than you will ever love or care for the church. And let me tell you, that was just a huge burden that was just lifted off of my shoulders. It wasn't something that I had to bury, but it's just something, a weight just lifted off of me because it was a reminder that Jesus is the head of the church. He is the leader. All of this is his. And I'm going to do my best to not mess it up. But the reality is, I know that I am just as replaceable as anybody, and the church will keep on going. The church was great long before I hit the scene, and it will continue to do good things way after I'm gone. And so it was this weight that was just lifted, knowing that this is his thing. And so he's a leader, he's in charge. Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves you, and he wants you to love the church too. So, With any message, I like to leave us with a challenge, whether it's in the message or at the very end. And so here's the challenge for us today. It's super simple. It's to pray. And I want you to pray in one of two ways. First one is just pray for the leaders here. Pray for them. Pray for wisdom. Pray that we would have guidance and and the, the Lord would speak to us and we would be obedient when he does speak to us. But here's the second thing. Pray for the people that sit around you. Now, some of you, you sit literally in the same spot every single Sunday. So, you know, pray for your section. Pray for those people that you, you sit next to. You might not know them, but pray for them. Pray that they would be obedient to the Lord. Pray for yourself that you would be obedient to the Lord. And here's what I know to be true. As we swallow our pride, as we check our rebellion, making sure that Jesus is king in our life, the first one, in first place, supreme place, preeminent place, then we'll begin to function the way that he's intended his church to function and the way that we're supposed to function. And I believe God will do big and great and mighty things in and through us when we swallow our pride, check our rebellion, and make sure that he is preeminent in our life. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.